Welcome to An Honorable Profession, a podcast giving America hope since 2018. I'm Ryan Coonerty. Along with Debbie Cox Bolton of the New Deal, I'm lucky enough to be your co-host. An Honorable Profession is a New Deal Leaders podcast. The New Deal is an organization that supports the next generation of American leaders. From attorneys generals, to state senators, to mayors, to school board members, these are the people that are pushing policies and politics that will respond to climate change, rebuild our economy, address racial injustice, and restore our democracy. These are incredibly talented people who have dedicated themselves to public service when their country and their communities need it the most. Check out newdealleaders.org to see what I'm talking about. In our final episode of the special Voter Registration Month series, I talked to Amanda Gonzalez, the county clerk recorder of Jefferson County, Colorado. Amanda has a long history of promoting voting rights and civic engagement, but was just elected to clerk recorder in November 2022 in the aftermath of the 2020 election. She's the first ever Latina to hold this office. Amanda and I talk about what the job is of county clerk recorder, her path to public service, and what she's doing in these unique times to promote transparency and fairness in elections and engage her community in the political process. I hope you enjoy and make sure you and all your friends are registered to vote. All right, Amanda Gonzalez, welcome to An Honorable Profession. Thanks for having me. I'm so grateful to you for joining us for this series we're doing in September for National Voter Registration Month and been really loving talking to folks who are on the front lines of defending democracy. So I'm, I'm I've been starting these calls with just a, or these meetings with just a thank you these conversations because really I feel like you all who are in it every day and making sure that our elections are going to run smoothly and democracy is defended are really heroes. So thank you for both being here, but also thank you for what you do. Oh, thanks for having me. Excited to be chatting today. Yeah. So let's start maybe a little bit with, you are new to this office. You were elected in 2022, but you are not new to this work, as I know. So you had been doing civic engagement and democracy work for a while. Maybe you can just tell us a little bit about your path, like what got you into this work pre-elected office and why this was important to you. Yeah. So I absolutely did not necessarily plan for running for office. I did not like take the classes that you were supposed to take and all of the things. Prior to being the clerk and recorder in Jefferson County, I was the executive director of Colorado Common Cause. So I was working on voting policy at the state level for a number of years. I also was the co-author on Colorado's redistricting ballot initiatives. So Amendments Y and Z created independent redistricting commissions in Colorado, and I was one of the co-authors of that. And then I also used to run the state's largest nonpartisan election protection effort. So that 800 number that you can call in if you're experiencing any kind of voter suppression or just need more voting information. I used to train all the attorneys in Colorado to run that hotline and make sure that voters had a nonpartisan resource that they could reach out to. So it was actually running for a partisan office that was brand new to me and honestly felt a little odd. I just fundamentally believe that everyone who is eligible to vote, should vote and have their ballot accurately counted, even if you see the world a little differently than I do. And so, you know, we'd be knocking doors and my campaign manager, I would say things like, well, you should still vote, like, even if you don't like me. (laughs) And my campaign manager is like, oh, it's a different goal right now. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. But so clearly this was a passion even before you ran for office. Like, what drew you to the democracy space prior? Like, was this something that was always what you thought you'd be doing? Or how did you land in this work? 
self-proclaimed systems nerd, right? How do we make systems better? How do we make sure that our systems work for everyone? One of my first jobs out of college is I was actually a grant writer for a boy's home. So 13 to 18 year old wards of the state who were on probation. And the reason I decided I wanted to go to law school somewhat naively, I was the first in my immediate family to go to college. So I don't know that I had a full picture of, of what law school really meant. But, you know, I was in my office thinking like I could be the world's best grant writer and these kids are still in a system that isn't going to support them. And so decided to go to law school for those reasons as I thought that would be the way to, to make systems changes. And I think I was attracted to the democracy space because I'm attracted to equity, because I'm attracted to fairness. And I think that we really need good systems if we want everything else to work, right? Whether you care about climate change or making sure that your kid has access to quality education or making sure that your son or daughter to go to a movie without the threat of gun violence, or if you just want accessible sidewalks in your neighborhood so you can take your afternoon walk and try and preserve your mental health, right? All of those policy decisions are reliant on a fair system. Like Voting rights are the foundation of all other rights. And so I think that's how I found myself in this work. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love it. I'm a big fan of systems nerds. I'm a systems nerd. (laughs) We're underrated. I love systems nerds. So Amanda, you said that you were kind of surprised that you ended up running for office. This was the first time you'd done something like this, particularly thinking about you running in 2022 after January 6th. And there's so much more heightened attention on elections. What was that experience like? Was it something, you know, did it surprise you? What, how was that? Yeah. On one hand, it's this position that no one knows what it does, right? I'm I'm telling my friends I'm considering running for clerk and recorder. They're like, aren't you an attorney? Like, why would you run for like a clerk in a court? And then on the other hand, you have all of this national attention around elections and election administrators. I was working in and around election policy for the last several years. And of course, running that nonpartisan voter hotline in 2020. And every election administrator that I know got a death threat, like of varying levels of severity. But at the time when I announced that I was running for office, I was actually living by myself and had reached out to a couple of friends and said, hey, if I win and if things get rowdy in 2024, could I stay with you for a month? And considering, you know, you're running for local office, I'm running because I want to protect the right to vote. I'm running because I want to make sure that every eligible voter casts their vote, right? That, And I'm coming at it from this almost awkwardly nonpartisan space, right? That I really mean it when I would say I want everyone who's eligible to vote to vote. And you're looking at, am I going to get a death threat? Like, is this safe? Are there safety concerns that I should have when running for office? So I think that was one of the surprising parts, or or at least one of the parts that if I was talking about having run for this position 10 years ago, I don't think we'd be having the same conversation, that it's just kind of a different world that we're living in. Absolutely. The flip side of that is because the local Democratic Party didn't know me very well. I've, I've actually always been registered as a Democrat and I've lived in this county for about 11 years now, but I was so involved on the nonpartisan side. It was not, I was not somebody that was going to like Democratic meetings. I wasn't necessarily the institutional pick. I am also the first person of color in this role. So obviously the first Latina in this role, as far as we know, the first out by person in this role. And so I'm just, I'm a little bit different from some of the folks who typically hold county office. And so I actually collected signatures initially to get on the ballot I was going to petition on instead of going through the caucus process. I also did the caucus process and that worked out, but it meant 
that I was spending um, about 18 hours every weekend and then every ounce of time I could get after work every day standing in the grocery store parking lot, talking to strangers and asking them to sign a petition to get me on the ballot. Amazing. And new that's new for you, right? That was probably a really interesting experience, right? <laughs> I'm an introvert. I was dreading it. We collected 1,700 signatures. We needed 1,000 ballot signatures to get on the ballot here. And I personally collected about 800 of them. And so I was I was talking to a lot of folks. And the minute, even if they weren't the same political party as me, the minute that I talked about, like, we need to protect our elections, we need to make sure this is fair, we need everybody to have a voice in the policies that impact their lives, that's how we make good decisions, right, is when we don't just have this homogenous group of people making decisions for everyone. When I was talking about that, it didn't matter your political party. It didn't matter if you'd ever heard of what a clerk was or what they did. The vast majority of people were like, yeah, I agree. It should just be fair. Everyone's voice should be heard. And that just felt so good, right? That yes, there is this vocal minority of people who are out to dismantle our democracy. And we have to make sure that they don't win. But the vast majority of people believe in our system and want to see it succeed. So that felt really great. I don't know the answer to this question. Did you run against an election denier? I was against somebody that after the 2020 election, she had tweeted that we needed to redo the election. And she was somebody that was pretty vocal in her support of former President Trump. So yeah, it, we were we were folks who saw the world pretty differently. Yeah, yeah. And I ask that just because of your point. I think that, and this is not a partisan statement, I think that there are the vast, so many people who just want to see elections run fairly. And those are the people we need in offices like yours and officers, offices like secretaries of state. It's just so disheartening and concerning to see people who are taking those positions and trying to make them partisan, make them see their role as actually being the place that you can determine the outcome of election, not administer the election, right? And so I that's just must have been a really interesting, interesting experience for you, to say the least. <laughs> It felt really heavy at times. Yeah. That I've been working for a long time trying to create voting systems that work for everyone and trying to create systems that make sure all of our voices are heard. And there were definitely nights that I needed to stay off Twitter <laughs> because I was I was scrolling late at night and I was reading some some pretty horrible things that my opponent had tweeted in the past and I was like, "Oh my gosh, like I want to win this election because I have good ideas and I want to win this election because I want to protect the right to vote and I want to make sure that everybody has access to their ballot and I want to see if we need to be translating or are we putting vote centers in the right spots. I want to do all of those things that are good for my community. And also, I live here, right? Like, I want to make sure that the person that's running elections for 450,000 voters in a historically purple county in Colorado are doing that in a fair way, in a way that is encouraging people to vote, not in a way that is trying to, to skew the results. And so those were the moments that felt heavy. Yeah, absolutely. I love what you're saying about some of your priorities and your focus in terms of that accountability and the transparency and the ability to make sure that people have access to voting. There's something I know you've been working on that I want to make sure I get a chance to ask about because we often think about elections and think only about voting, but the district lines actually also matter a lot. And I know you were talking earlier about your role in authoring some of that legislation to for the independent redistricting commissions. And then you actually were drawing the lines as now your county recorder, right? So I'm so curious to know how that process went, where you are in the process and how you're feeling about that. Yeah. 
if you're listening to this and not seeing it on YouTube or something, you talked about an independent redistricting commission. And I made a face that people make when they like open a good gift. It's so important. Colorado is a leader in this for sure, right? Absolutely. So at the state level, I think we really did the right thing. And and it was, they were amendments that were unanimously referred to voters and then overwhelmingly passed. I think that regular voters, regular people, even if they don't understand the nuances of like what it, of redistricting, this weird process that we do to draw new maps and boundaries every 10 years, that's a pretty nerdy thing that not everybody thinks about every day. But even if people don't understand the intricacies of how districts are drawn or when they're drawn, they do understand that they they want fair maps. They understand that they don't want gerrymandering. And I think that most people understand that everyday people should be picking their politicians, not the other way around. A politician shouldn't get to draw a map and say, oh yeah, these are the people that will vote for me. I'll take them, right? You don't have to be an election nerd to, to know that you want your district that represents you to be fair. You don't want your voice drown out. And so- we redistrict at every level about every 10 years after we do the census to make sure that those districts are all roughly the same size, that, that sort of idea behind one person, one vote. And so we do that even at the local level. So here in Jefferson County, we have three county commissioner districts. County commissioners are the people that decide what our budgets look like, right? Is your human services department accurately funded? Are your roads and bridges going to be kept up? And are they safe to drive on, right? Those are the kinds of decisions that are really impactful and matter a lot in your community. And so in the past, what has happened is those districts have kind of gotten drawn behind closed doors. I don't fault anybody. You know, if you're trying to get your kid to school on time, I don't fault you for not paying attention to when county commissioner redistricting is happening. But what we did that I'm really proud of is we worked with the folks at MGGG Labs, which is part of Tufts University, they had created this user interface, this this website, this program that works kind of like paint. You like click on a paintbrush, you can paint your own districts. It is really easy to understand and follow. We actually had a seven-year-old who drew some of the districts as an example. Wow. We did community events. So we, not just here in our kind of scary, big administration building, but we went out to like libraries did tutorials on how to use this program, gave info sessions about the timeline and how you could participate. And we had more than a dozen community members draw and submit their own maps for consideration. I mean, that to get people to take the time out of their day to submit a map for county commissioner redistricting, we had dozens of people show up to meetings and submit comments. And ultimately, it was the county commissioners that have to approve the map. And so they have the final say. And so what happened is the map got finalized at a public meeting. And so the public and voters were able to understand how this came to be, how they could have a say, and who to hold accountable if they love the map or if they don't love them. And so I was just really, really proud of the amount of sunshine on that process because it allowed voters and community members not only to have a voice in the process, but to see all of it happen in lifetime. And it really was the first time that these these were drawn in such a public fashion. That's amazing. That's so, I mean, I know that that's a trend across the country to try to go to these independent redistricting commissions or to just have them be more of a transparent process. But it's so important to your point about, I mean, the rules and the systems, right? If you're not working and voting in competitive districts that 
represent the interests of the people, that's really, that's kind of game over from the start, right? <laughs> so the, you know, so that I think that's, a, it's it's an underappreciated part of the process sometimes about how, how important it is for democracy to work, to have those fair districts that people are running in. So thank you for your work on that. That's super exciting and look forward to hearing more about that. I want to take a quick break from this conversation to remind you that we're celebrating the release of our 200th episode and five years of an honorable profession on September 21st. In that special episode, Ryan and I will be talking to a guest that I'm super excited about, a person who I'm sure will have lots of insights about the upcoming 2024 elections and how we best message the Democratic accomplishments from the Biden-Harris administration's first term. To get ready for that milestone episode, we're looking back at some of the best moments in an honorable profession history. Here's a clip from my inspiring conversation with Florida House Minority Leader and New Deal Leader, Ventress Driscoll. Enjoy, and be sure to check out our 200th episode next week for a great conversation. So I grew up in Florida, like I told you, Florida native, and I participated in a program known as Florida Girl State. And people might know Girl State and Boy State. I think there's a movie on Netflix, Boy State. But I was in Girl State and it teaches you about Florida government at every level. And I was absolutely hooked. And I decided to run for governor of Girl State and won. And I got to meet the governor at the time, Lawton Childs. He's the last Democratic governor that we had in the state. And he inspired me, but also understanding the function that a governor plays and the function that a state legislature plays. I learned that as a high school student, 17 years old. And I thought, you know what, someday this is what I want to do. Went on to college and law school and started a career and kind of got away from that dream, if I'm honest. But after the 2016 election, I felt like I had something to offer and I wanted to be involved. I am a consensus builder. I wanted to offer those skills up to my community because I felt like we were at a point where we couldn't even talk to each other anymore. Neighbors can't even be friends anymore, depending on the political yard sign that they have displayed at their home. And that's not who we are as Americans fundamentally, I don't believe. I don't think that's who we are as Floridians. And so I always want to try to be a part of the conversation that brings us back from the brink and just sees each other, sees the humanity in each other. Yes, we may have differences in our policy opinions, and that's okay, but this is our democracy, and we need to do what we can to defend it, and I always want to be a part of that, and I believe part of it is making sure that we're maintaining separation of powers, we're having respect for the Constitution, but also having respect for each other. I also wanted to ask you a little bit about, you mentioned earlier, really some of those amazing firsts for you. First, Latina in this office, you're obviously a young, you know, young woman. That's kind yeah, I'm going to say that. <laughs> I get older, everybody's younger. But anyway, and, and then you worked so much in civic engagement in the past. Do you have a role and what are your thoughts about trying to engage some of those populations, younger people, other people of color, things like that, in terms of getting more people into the process? How do you think about your role as clerk recorder in that way? Yeah. So we are doing a lot of work right now to make sure that voting and the office more generally, right? Whether you're coming in for a marriage license or because you need to register your car, you should feel welcome in government. And I think so much of people not participating is maybe you show up once and you're like, oh, they didn't want me there, right? Or this isn't for me. Even something as unintentional as just a process feeling really confusing if you don't have background in it. It feels unwelcoming. So we are taking some very concrete steps to make sure that we're doing better, right? I'm only one person. I've goofed some stuff in the past, right? I've had my own blind spots and needed other people around me to say, hey, did you think that through? And so I'm trying to do that. I'm trying to bring more people in. A couple ways that we're doing that. First, 
is we just started a new advisory committee. It's never existed in this capacity before. And so we're going to have about 25 members, all different walks of life. I think we have every political party represented. I believe our youngest member is 15. Our oldest member is in their 70s. The idea being that we're able to push some information out so that communities get accurate information from trusted sources. We're able to get feedback back so that hopefully we get feedback before we goof something up and that we're better understanding the needs of the community. There's all sorts of isms that I think sometimes we have biases or, or we're unintentionally just not seeing. And so hopefully we'll, we'll see more of those and, and do a better job about being welcoming and inclusive and making everybody feel like they belong. The other thing that we're doing is we are hiring a community engagement coordinator. So it's the first of its kind. This office has never had this position. The idea is that we have somebody who's bilingual that is out in the community full time. I want to be out talking to constituents as much as I possibly can. And I have three elections to run next year. And so making sure that we have somebody that can be out there, that can give accurate information, that can get feedback, that can understand where we need to make changes or improvements. So I'm excited about those two things. It's funny. I'm So again, if you, you won't be able to see if you're just listening to this, but I'm wearing kind of a larger silver earring. I'm often in larger earrings and like a bold lip. <laughs> you're very pretty. And when I was running for office, the pandemic was, I think, having a more acute impact on us than it is right now. I think it's still raging on, but many things were over Zoom at the time. And I had someone call me after a meeting and say, can I give you a bit of advice? And I right? That's a nervous, it's a nervous statement. And this person said, you need to wear smaller earrings. And I thought I, I, you know, I'm clearly still thinking about that remark and sort of what impact it had on me, right? Because it meant I had to devote brain space to think, do I look the part? Are my earrings having an impact? Should I wear them again? Is it something that sort of illustrates an identity that I'm proud of and who I am? And, you know, I want to illustrate to other people, like, yeah, if you're a little bit younger or a little bit browner or a little bit queer or just like a big earring, you too can run for office, right? And if you're doing it because you want to make sure that everybody's voice is heard in our democracy, that's even better. But I think about it, right? And I think about it in spaces where I'm the only, right? I think about it in, in spaces where maybe folks who look like me haven't traditionally been. And those are the kinds of things that make you feel welcome or not welcome, right? And so we're also thinking about training for staff members and having regular conversations with the director team. I've got a staff of about 115 people about are our goals and our key performance indicators looking at the things that are meaningful and do they have an equity and inclusion lens on them? Because it really needs to be throughout every part of the clerk and recorder's office, but also every part of government to make sure that we aren't doing those subtle or unintentional or maybe well-meaning comments about earrings, I don't really know, to make sure that we are communicating to people, like not only do they belong here, not are they, are they welcome, but we need their participation. Yeah, I love that so much. I love it for all kinds of reasons. I want to unpack a couple of things you said and just highlight them because I think they're so important. I mean, I, I love the connection you made between democracy and government working, right? I mean, basically people feeling like their interaction, as you started that that answer, people feeling their interaction with government was a positive, that they feel like they belonged there, that they were getting the kind of responsiveness and the service that they deserved. And that being also, I think, tied to participation, whether you're going to vote, right? Or whether you're going to see this yourself in any of this. So I think that's super, super important. And you also said something that I think is, is equally as important is some of the stuff, you're, which I love, the initiatives you're working on to bring more people in. This is year-round work. I think so often people think about elections as kind of, okay, will you gear up 
I don't know what they think, you know, a day before, a week before, six weeks before, whatever, right? Whatever, when they're thinking about it, right? But, you know, this is that work that you're talking about, that training, that ongoing advisory board, the ongoing engagement with the community, not to mention all the actual prep you have to do for ballot printing. I mean, all the logistics of running an election, but that community engagement, I think is so important to be year round. I mean, that's democracy is not just the elections. It's it's a year round thing, right? It's how we how we interact with our government. So I think both of those things you're doing seem really important and exciting to me, frankly. And even if we're just talking only about elections, right, even that work really is year round, right? When we're thinking about where do we place drop boxes? If I'm somebody that doesn't live in that part of town, I might not know that, oh, that library that you just stuck that drop box at, the closest crosswalk is actually a mile away. If you're walking and you're on the other side of the street, you actually can't get to that Dropbox, right? Like those are the kinds of things that are really important and that individuals are in our community are the experts in their own lives, in their towns and where they live. And they're going to be the ones that are going to be able to tell us, hey, Amanda, actually that Dropbox is really inaccessible. And so even those sorts of more nuanced, smaller things that don't feel like a big deal actually really matter when we're talking about, is somebody going to get their ballot in outside? And inclusion, as you were talking about, and engagement, right? I mean, if it's, we have to meet people where they are, right? We can't assume people have a good bus route to a Dropbox or have a car or any of these things, right? We have to kind of meet people where they are. I I think that's exactly right. And then, I mean, I I don't want to leave unresponded to the whole other piece of things you were just talking about, about your earrings and about you. And I just want to say, good for you. I love the earrings you're wearing, whether or not you're listening or watching. And I think it's so important that one of the things I think is I'm so refreshed by is the understanding about authenticity that people now bring to elected office. And I mean, you know, you're elected, people elect you because you're you. And I think that you just got to keep being you. I mean, I think that's true for all of us. So I applaud you for both being yourself, but also understanding that that we have trying to make space for other people in your community to be themselves and have those authentic voices heard. So I think that's really how we're going to rebuild trust in government and rebuild trust in democracy. It's kind of comes down to that, like letting people have their voice, their authentic voice, I think. Yeah. And I feel like voting is the baseline. I want every eligible voter to vote. And if that is all you can do, that is great. You should vote. But if you can attend a community meeting, if you can make a public comment to your board of county commissioners, if you can get involved in a steering committee or an advisory committee, like our government and our processes will only be better for it. I think that's exactly right. I think I just want to ask you as we're kind of wrapping here a little bit about as you head into 2024, it feels like I loved our conversation because it's so hopeful. We're also living like it's in a bit of a precarious time about democracy and people have real concerns about democracy. So with somebody who is on the front lines, maybe I'll ask you both what you're kind of watching the most, what keeps you up at night, what you're worried about heading into 2024, and then maybe end with kind of what you're most hopeful about. So what is it that you're that you're watching to make sure that everything goes well in 24? I am having all of the meetings with emergency preparedness departments. We are are we allowed to use the word unprecedented anymore? I don't even know if that's allowed. It's meaningless. <laughs> yes, you are. Sure. I know every day, every day it's unprecedented. <laughs> You're right. There are this whole set of things that we didn't necessarily have to consider in the same way a decade, let alone three ago. And so we absolutely are gearing up for all sorts of worst case scenarios in my office. We are doing disaster preparedness things. And I do continue to worry about missing disinformation. If you don't know who to trust and you're just believing what you see on the internet, I get it. And that's really scary for democracy. And 
I do continue to worry about the bad actors that are putting out mis- and disinformation just to make sure that our democracy doesn't threaten. That is something that we continue to worry about and that we're trying to be proactive about. I will say that I am probably more optimistic than almost anyone on my staff, which maybe that's the way it should be. I've been organizing for so long. I've been working in the democracy space for so long. And it doesn't always go well, right? We have horrible things in our history. We have horrible track records of excluding, particularly Black and brown people. Like that, that history is real. And I also just know in my bones and from working with people on all different issues that the ultimate power of our democracy is in the people, right? And I think that the vast majority of people are in the right space. 2020 was scary. And after the election got scarier, right? I remember watching January 6th happen and texting my girlfriends on the girlfriend's text thread saying like, are we all supposed to keep working? Like, what is the protocol here? And being pretty terrified that that was even a possibility of something that I would be watching on my screen. And I've also seen the way that people came together afterwards, right? That they don't want to put up with that. They do care about our democracy and we are all fighting for it. And that 2022 was not chaos, right? I think that all of the election administration departments had kind of prepared for, okay, like, what does this look like? And and it wasn't great in some places, but the vast majority of places, democracy functioned, right? And it functioned well in 2022. So I am optimistic that that will continue to happen and that we will be on the right trajectory for 2024, that people will get involved, but in the ways that they're supposed to get involved in democracy, right? We all want free and fair elections. And that means that every ballot gets cast without obstruction or confusion or intimidation. The vast majority of people really, really do want fairness, even if they disagree with their neighbor. That's okay. But the way that we work that out is civilly, right? Through discourse and through casting our own ballots. Yeah. I love that you feel that way because you're close to the ground on it and you're seeing it every day. So my that is on you <laughs> and your compatriots around the country who are running these elections. I think that I'm going to have a lot of hope too, but I can't thank you enough, Amanda, for being with us on this again, what's been this special series we did on voting in elections this month. And so thank you for all the work that you're doing every day. And it's just great to talk to you. Thank you so much. And don't forget to update your voter registration if you've moved in the last year or so. Love it. <laughs> PSA. All right. Thank you, Amanda. Thanks. An Honorable Profession is a New Deal Leaders podcast. Thanks to the team at New Deal for producing this episode. We encourage you to bring honor to public service, and because we keep things honorable, no tax dollars are used in the making of this podcast.